I'm Andy Irwin, and this is The Storytellers. In this episode of The Storytellers, uh, we have one of the people that has invested in our brand from the beginning. Uh, this woman is uh, one of the heroes of our space that I, I feel um, has the anger and the, the kind of the passion to, uh, to stand for what she believes uh, and has been on not one but two uh, massively popular uh, shows that are in syndication. You know her from shows like Everybody Loves Raymond in the middle, uh, has had an incredible career and continues to do really entertaining things. Would you welcome uh, one of the queens of comedy, Patricia Heaton. Hi, Andy. Patty, welcome. Good to have <laughs> you on the show. Thank you. Thanks. The secret to this show is I'm not interesting at all, but I've got a lot of interesting friends, so you're here to make me look good. Okay, I'll try. So, yeah. Okay. That's a big request, but I'll try. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that takes a lot of work. So you guys are in Nashville now. How's how's Nashville treating you? Is it... Uh, Loving it. Yeah. Um, I think the testament to what a great town Nashville is, is that Dave and I have been here sort of on and off for three years. So we've spent chunks of time away from Nashville. Yep. And even so, when we had our Boxing Day party, the yep. day after Christmas, which unfortunately you, your family got sick. Which I still don't sick. understand what that holiday is, but <laughs> yeah. I, I looked it up and I was like, yeah. I still don't understand. Okay. But, okay. Um, we knew a hundred people to invite. Wow. So, and I I think that's a testament to the friendliness of Nashville, that we feel that close to a hundred people having only spent, you know, a few months here over the last three years. Yeah, it was, it, the thing that's been fascinating with this town is when we first moved here about five years ago, like there was very few film people here. Yeah. You know, there's a, there was a few, but they were like big name people that kept to themselves, like the, you know, Nicole Kidman's and the Justin Timberlake's. Yes. But in the past five years, like all the people, especially that are like-minded like us, have kind of all descended on this town. And they really don't know why they're here. You keep running into it like, I moved here. I don't know why, but I'm here. Well, it's like that Stephen King novel, The Stand. Yeah. Right? right. And so we're all gathering in uh -huh. Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all uh -huh. the evil people are in Vegas yeah. and a war is about to happen. No. Um, we're but there it. is this gathering that's yeah. happening here. And it, it hasn't quite gelled yet. We need to get the movie business happening here. Yeah. Like filming here much more. That would be. There's a few things. But we'd like to get some TV and film going here so we can all just go back to our houses at night. That would be fantastic. I mean, we're, we're lobbying for it for sure. Yeah. For, for you and I, I mean, we we go back to, you know, Mom's Night Out, you know, it was almost ten, like 10 years ago. Is it? Yeah. It's been a while. And um, the thing that I love about you is I, I don't know if I ever let you know when we when we were doing that, like you intimidated me a little bit up front. I, I tried to put on my poker face that wasn't very good, but uh, but like. When you came into it, we were these snotty-nosed young filmmakers that had only done one movie. We'd never done a comedy. And then we have comedy legend Patty Heaton, or Patricia Heaton on set. <laughs> and, you know, the thing that I, you know, in that journey that I, I discovered about you is there's this kind of tale of two Heatons with you. <laughs> and what like, is it? Tell me the well, tale. Well, okay, okay, the tale of two Heatons. The, 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 the first part is, and, I, and I'm contractually obligated to say this from your people, <laughs> is you have two-time Emmy-winning comedy legend Patricia Heaton. Yes. 
And then you, three actually three three times yeah three times okay I didn't look my notes right no that's so three okay. well, the, the third one was for a food food network show food okay network. okay yeah. well there's the third in there okay. now but see okay I'm I'm going off old notes from Mom's Night Out okay so and then on the other side of you there is this Midwestern fiery passion driven Irish Catholic Patty Heaton yeah for you like your Midwestern roots like grew up your dad was a newspaper guy correct. And I still read the newspaper. I'm a big fan of the newspaper. I'm one mm-hmm. of the few. What did those mid Midwestern roots do for you to kind of kind of make you who you are? Well, I think I still had Midwestern roots for a very long time because I didn't actually start making my living as an actor until my early 30s. So I was struggling for a long time. I think um, God, in His mercy, withheld any success from me because I wanted it too much, wow. really wanted to be famous, really acting was the, the center of my life as opposed to God being the center mm. of my life for a long time. And so it would have been ruinous for me if I had been successful any earlier than I was. And so I felt like I was just still scrapping and fighting for all that time. Mm. You know, so you grow up in the Midwest and everybody's very nice and normal and everybody works hard. And, you know, as soon as I turned 16, I got a job so I could pay for stuff. And, you know, I was very independent. And that just continued with tons of survival jobs after I went to the Ohio State University (laughs) and and then moved to New York City and kind of scrapped around there for nine years and then went to L.A. No agent, no manager, no car. Wow. Um. And so I just think that that sort of upper middle slash working class combination thing stayed with me because I had to be that for so long. Mm. And so that when I would finally get on the lot at Warner Brothers, every day I felt like kissing the ground. I couldn't believe I was there. Mm. And... And I still appreciate it. Yeah. And even though at this point, um, I don't have a regular job right now, and it's been a couple of years, you know, and, and I've been used to working for every day yeah. for 20 years. Yep. Um, I just, I look back at that. It, let's say that's it for me. Let's say I don't work again as an actor. I just appreciate that that happened yeah. to me. It happens to so few people. And I really have an enormous amount of gratitude that I was given that. But I think it only, it happened in the timing that it did because I was able to center God in my life. And when that happened, then I think he knew it was safe for me to start being successful and have all the things that come with that. Because those things can really corrupt you. Yep. And once God became the center of my life and I had my children, it all started happening after I got married and had children. Yeah. And that becomes, it's like God, then your family, then your career. So that when the children are also there as your focus, uh, it puts everything into perspective. Because at the end of the day, you might have spent all day where people are running around telling you how great you are and laughing at everything you do and coming by and asking you if you need any water but when you go home, you're just changing poopy diapers yeah. and trying to, you know, 
boil hot dogs yep. and nobody's saying thank it's you or anything. Most humbling thing in the world. <laughs> You're like, humbling. where's the applause? Yes. And like, no. So, you know, it's it really centers you and grounds you. So I think if that hadn't happened, the acting and the things that come with it, especially, yeah. would have been too important. And I would have been running after those things. Well, I don't I don't know if it's this way for you, but like being from Birmingham, Alabama, somewhere that's kind of very uh, blue collar and mundane to a lot of the world. I think you do want it that much more just because you, you want to prove that, oh, don't judge me. I'm, you know, I'm more than yes. what you think I, you know, and you kind of crave that uh, validation. Yes. And I think all my life I have just, you know, I, I was born performing. Mm. Like it's not something I decided to choose. Mm. Since I was little, um, I had a very fruitful imagination and I lived in my imagination a lot. And I watched all these old Shirley Temple movies growing mm. up and I wanted to be Shirley Temple. Huh. And I would go into Sister Delrina's class in the second grade and I would say to her, um, I have a Barbra Streisand song I'd like to present to the class. And she would say, okay. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> and I would do the Barbra Streisand song from the My Name is Barbara album. And then, you know, in the class, it's like everybody's like looking at each other. And I'm thinking like, Barbara, you know, when I'm, you know, six years old. And then she would send me to the other classrooms to sing for everybody. So that was just who I was. Huh. Um, my friends and I growing up in Ohio uh, would, I would say, here's the latest musical album that we have at our house. We always got musicals. And then everybody would learn the songs and then we would go out and perform them on the loading dock of the grocery store that was down yeah. the street. So we did West Side Story on the loading dock of the Heinen's supermarket. And, um, or we take a book and we, we play the book, right? So I was just always performing, always performing, but there was nobody around me in my family who was doing that. And no one knew how to or thought of, they didn't have to encourage me, let's put it that way. I just did it. They still don't. Like, you would send me jokes, though, like, on set of Monside Out, like, with, like, and, like, pictures of yourself with, like, Krispy Kreme donuts. And, and I'm like, Patty, we were at two hours ago. Why are you still on? Okay, right, exactly. You go off That's right. I just had that drive in me still, mm. and I had to keep pursuing it. Mm. Um, and I finally got into the chorus of a black gospel musical written by the Winans. Wow. Um, and it was a Broadway show. Huh. And I remember I had this manager. It's, it's, it's almost like the Woody Allen movie Broadway Danny Rose, right? Mm -hmm. But my manager was this gal, Pat Sullivan. And she kind of talked like this. She smoked a lot. <laughs> this, <that's> the, <laughs> and she lived in this apartment in Manhattan. And Every stereotype. Yeah. Yes. She sort of wore these <coughs> big moo-moos. And uh, <coughs> I think she was a, in the original Our Gang TV shows, like mm -hmm. the Little Rascals. You know? <laughs> so she's been around for a long time. And she's like, you go to church, don't you? I was like, yeah. Okay, go audition for this black gospel musical. I'm like, well... <laughs> 
but okay, all right. So I went into the audition, and it's every great black singer from the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir oh my gosh. is there auditioning. That's hysterical. And I was like, I didn't know any gospel songs, so I prepared a song called Suddenly Seymour from Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> <laughs> and I go in this room, and there's all the whinings sitting yes. there. And um, I had just come from a commercial audition for like Palm Olive dishwash and liquor or something, and I, I couldn't have looked whiter or preppier. I was in a jean skirt and a little red sweater with a scarf, you know. And I came in and I said, okay, so just let's pretend like this is a gospel song. <laughs> I don't know, the Holy Spirit or adrenaline or a combination plat platter of that came in, and I, I mean, that song just flew out of me. You could see on their faces, like pushing their chairs back from their table, just looking at each other like, we can't believe this is coming out of this tiny little oh. white girl. And uh, I got a standing ovation from them Wow! when I finished. And then when I walked out, everybody, all the singers from like Brooklyn, looked at me like, wait, that was you? Huh. That little white girl? <laughs> <laughs> and so I got the job. And uh, so that was sort of the first sh big show I'd ever done. It was just like in the chorus, huh. right? Yeah. So it's not really going to get me anywhere. But um, it was really... A... But you can officially at that point say, I'm an actor. It's yes, like, and it's I had like, a show had jacket. A show. Like I had like a you know, thing it's that's... It's legit. Yeah. Like, and it's, for, I mean, it's really validating. Yeah. I, I, I think for me, I don't know if it's this way for you, but sometimes... I do my best work when I'm backed into a corner. Oh, yeah. And you got to come out swinging. Yes. And it's like, this is either going to go down in flames. Yeah. It's going to be the most embarrassing chapter of my life. Yes. Or I'm going to kill it. Yes. And you just kind of just say, well, you know, you know carpe diem. And you just fly, Yes, carpe diem. And you have to be able to risk. You yep. just have to be a risk taker. Yep. Well, with, with you getting going, I mean, you go from Shirley Temple and Barbara Streisand tunes, <laughs> you know, to, to musical theater uh, in a black gospel choir. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, where did, where did you kind of tap into, oh, comedy? That's what I, that's, that's something I love. I think when I was growing up, we had shows like the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah, and then which, there was the spinoff. The Mary Tyler Moore show is one of the most perfect pieces of television in history. Yes. Like every character on that was spot on. So delicious. And I think it, it did very much what you guys accomplished on Raymond is Mary was so adept at earning the laugh with this really character-based humor to really kind of get it to where you're crying, you're laughing so hard, like Chuckles the Clown. Yes. Moments where it's just like, and then she would take a hard right turn to something that was profound. Yeah, and emotional. Would really move you. Yeah. And then she would keep it from being earnest by then taking another hard left turn back to something yes. hysterical. Yes. And like there was something so brilliant and like dramatic about how they accomplished yes. their comedy. yes. And I think that that, you know, so I, I was always drawn to comedy growing up. And we watched a lot of television. Um, you know, there's a story that Phil Rosenthal tells that he would be sitting in front of the television all day long. And his mother would say to him, how are you ever going to get a job if all you ever do is watch TV? <laughs> and he actually has a picture of himself as a little kid. By the way, he looks he looked exactly the same when he was five as I he does picture, now. Yeah. Holding a TV guide and watching TV. Oh my God. And, um, and you know, makes his living at TV. And so I, I think I was drawn to that and I recognized the humor. I think our family was just kind of funny. My brother was really funny. Um, and in my acting class, I remember the Meisner technique, you do a lot of improv. Sure. And 
often the improvs would turn toward comedy just because that's what my instincts were. Yeah. So I think really, and Eileen Heisler, who's one of the creators of The Middle, she and I talked about this, that you can't really learn comedy. Yeah. Like you're either funny. It's instinctual. Or you ain't. Yeah. And I've seen movies where they've cast actors who are normally dramatic actors, and they give them funny lines, but it's just not funny. Yeah. But there are people who come on to the set, and they don't have to even open their mouth, and they make you laugh like Will Ferrell. Yeah. Well, I found that, like, I think a lot of times <laughs> comedy actors, because they're so present and they work at such a high RPM because of the improv and all that, and to do improv, you have to be very present and you're very paying attention to what the other person's doing and responding. And so that you can't just mail it in. I think that a lot of times comedic actors make a better turn towards drama than the other way around. Yeah, I agree with that. Although I'll tell you what, for me, comedy is super specific and it's, it's kind of a type of music. And you, when, a, when you're doing a comedy show, the really good writers don't want you to divert from the script. They've crafted this very carefully to follow this music where the, the, the joke will only work if you hit it at this point, at this, whatever. And what dramatic actors are very good at is being loose and open and coming in and not really knowing what they're going to do or what's going to happen. And that's a little scary to me. I I tend to want to have all my ducks in a row and kind of know where it's going. Yeah. So for me, starting to do a little more feature films, you know, smaller parts in feature films recently, that's been my challenge to myself is mm. just shake it off and try to be just really present in the moment and see what hits me. You know, with, with Raymond, we had, you know, five four or five days of rehearsal and you knew where those laughs were going to come yep. and you hit a certain beat and yep. it was very prepared. Yeah. Not that there are, not that comedians don't do improvisation and, and we would do sometimes second and third takes where you would throw in a different joke uh, on Raymond or you try something different on the middle, but for the most part it was pretty prescribed. So, you know, my challenge now is, is being really loose I was listening to Tom Holland talk about um, acting, and he said, I don't memorize my lines. Hmm. He said, there's three, he, this is what he said, there's three things you're doing in dialogue. You're either asking a question, answering a question, or telling a story. Huh. He said, if, the, if it's asking and answering questions, I don't even look at my lines till I'm in the makeup chair. Wow. He said, if I have a story that I'm telling, then yeah. I'll, I'll memorize memo, yeah. it a little bit. But first of all, I just thought these young people with their fresh, <laughs> moist brains. And you're like, oh, say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my sides? Wait, let me get my glasses here. Wait, let me just look. I'm just going to tuck my sides. The Did kiddos just, these days. Did you just put my lines on a card? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I was like, that's, you know, a privilege of the youth. But I thought that's, that is really, that is so not me. I like to have my lines all down and then... If you know them well enough, then you can kind of fly off of them yeah, yeah. and play with them. Right, right. So, I mean, the beauty of being in this really difficult, often awful business that's constantly disappointing you and humili humiliating you yep. is that you never stop learning. 
there's there's always something you could be learning mm. about your craft. It doesn't end. Yeah. And and that keeps you going and that's what makes life exciting. As you said before, you got to just go out and risk and sometimes you're going to fail and sometimes you're going to succeed, but mm. you'll never succeed unless you risk. And so I think that's what keeps a lot of actors young in spirit really because yeah. you're having to always be in a state of being ready to learn and that's almost like a childlike mm -hmm. uh state of being is being open to experiences and open to learning yeah you know because i i when i'm around actors i'm like but their actors are just so well what we do is we play it's mm -hmm. playing well i mean like i love every time i would step on the set with john voigt he would always rib me and he'd kind of elbow me in the ribs It'd be like, hey, kid, do you, do you see what we get to do for a living? We're going to go play dress up for two hours. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. And he just walk out and it's like he was doing vaudeville. And I'm just like, I'm like, how, he's 80 years old yes, and he hasn't and he, lost that he spark. He in particular has a very youthful spirit. Does. And he always comes in from some obtuse angle that you don't expect, even when just in regular conversation. Oh, just hanging out with him. I took him to dinner. He's like, he's like, hey, kid, next time you're in LA, I'm going to take you to my favorite restaurant. It's be I'm like, all right, all right, John, that's great. He's like, okay, you, you know, you call me. And then I call him, I get out there. He's like, it's this Greek restaurant. And I think he's going to take me to some fancy Greek restaurant. Yeah. And then I show up and it's in like the like Century, the wall Century City mall. mall. Like it like tucked in the, and he goes there all the time. It just sits there at the table and he's sitting there and he's holding court with everybody in there yes. doing his routine. And in the middle of it, he's like, Hey Andy, in, in your movie, American Underdog, you had my friend Bruce McGill in it. I love Bruce McGill. He's yeah. wonderful. We were in the movie Heat together. I haven't talked to that man. And he's lovely, man. I would love to talk to him. Do you have his number? I would love to talk to him. And I would, Sure, John. I would love to hear. Uh, and so I, I text him, send him the contact info, and then he he all of a sudden looks at it, dials it. He calls it. He's like, "Hey, Bruce, it's John Voigt. I'm prank calling you." Ha ha! It hangs up. I'm like, <laughs> but this is a guy that just yes. he, he loves. He loves to. He just loves to perform. He yes. loves. He has not let, lost the joy. Yes. You know, for uh, you know that with with you. So with you with you. I think there is something about people that discover their voice a little bit later in mm. life because they know what they want, they know why they're there, and they know kind of what it took to get there, and they appreciate it. Yes, and I think just one of the things that William Esper said as we graduated from the two-year program was, okay, now you need to go out and live because you need to have experiences from Pull which from. to draw. Yeah, You don't have those experiences. And having children opens a chamber in your heart that is only unlocked by children. Hmm. And that gives you a completely different perspective yep. and set of emotions and a fierceness and a fear. And it just brings all this stuff and, and you know, it, it humbles you. It and deals with every bit of selfishness. Like every like bit, every bit. And so, you know, you bring that to the table. So it's, you know, it, and sometimes I feel like this is so embarrassing what we do. And it's a ridiculous job for a grown woman to have. I remember, you know, shooting at night on the middle and I'm tired and sitting outside. Oh, oh, it was it was a Frankie ends up needing extra money for Christmas. Frankie Heck, my character on the middle. And she has to go work at the old timey village, uh, Christmas village. <laughs> and I'm standing there with a bonnet. In this old timey <laughs> dress and a butter churner. It's such a good episode. It's such a good episode. Yeah, yeah. And so I was just like, 
is embarrassing. It's kind of embarrassing yeah. that I'm in this costume, even though it's embarrassing for my character also. Um, and I just thought, I just, I just can't believe this is what I do for a living. And there's, there's surgeons saving people's lives doing brain surgery, you know, and I'm getting paid twice as much, you know, in my old timey costume on the Warner Brothers lot. But the other side of it is like that, that switch you can't turn off. Cause I would be like, I would put like, you know, in mom's head out, I put you in embarrassing situations and I would always check on you and be like, Hey, is, are we pushing it too far? Are you okay? You know? And then you leaned over, you said, Andy, let's get one thing straight. I will do anything for a laugh. <laughs> like literally anything it's for a terrible. laugh. I'm I like, know. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Well, I remember, and this has been interesting because when we were on set, you had already been shooting yep. with Sarah, Drew, yeah, and Sean, Sean Aston. And the first day on set, you said to me, I want to show you what we shot, a little bit of what we shot already. I want to show you this scene with, with Sarah and uh, Sean. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know if I want to see it. Yeah. It, and you were like, well, come on, come on, let's look. And I said, okay, I hate to say this, but if it's terrible, I'm not going to want to do the rest of this movie. <laughs> I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. <laughs> and you were like, I think you'll like it. And I watched it. And not only did I like it, I was blown away and completely intimidated by Sarah. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I really have to show up now. Not that I wasn't going to show up, but I. But now it was like a gauntlet was thrown. Like I have to be as funny or funnier and better than Sarah. Um, and I told her that later. I said I was so intimidated by what I saw you do in that closet scene. Yeah. You were that funny crying because funny crying is is not difficult. everybody can do it. It's very difficult. And so, so she was like, "Really?" And I said, "Yeah." I was blown away. Um, and I think about that because. Flash forward, Dave and I are producing, and Dave is directing mm -hmm. our movie Unexpected, which yep. you can get on Amazon Prime it's with Anna Kang and Joe Mazzello. It's fantastic. And I remember just trying to wrangle the actors, like to get them out of the trailer on time. Yep. And I was just thinking, oh, for, like now I hate actors. Now I hate them. <laughs> like, and I'm looking back at myself going, I can't believe I said that to Andy. There, there are two things. There were two things that will make you a great actor. One is having children. Yes. The second is producing. Yes. Because as soon as you produce, you want to go, well, you have children, you want to go back to your parents yes. and say, everything I've ever done, I'm so sorry. Yes. When you produce, it's the same thing. Yes. You want to go back to every filmmaker that you ever worked with and be like, back when I was 30 and I said all that, I'm, I was, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> well, sorry. I actually texted the second AD from, I can't remember if it was from the middle or what, maybe it was from the middle. And I said, because she used to come in the makeup trailer and said, are you, you know, guys, we need you. And I'm like, it takes as long as it takes, okay? <laughs> oh, my gosh, you said that. Yeah, a number of times, <laughs> a number of times. Uh, <laughs> I mean, of course, sort of jokingly, yeah. but sort of not. And um, I, I either called her or texted her, and I said, uh, uh, I am so sorry. I said, I'm trying to get actors out of the trailer right now, uh -huh. and I need to apologize to uh -huh. you for not coming out of the trailer on time. Now, I'm actually a super professional person who, like, is on set and shows up and knows my lines. But, you know, their job is a thankless job of having to try to wrestle everybody, well, you know. Well, when you produce, you, you, for one thing, you're responsible, accountable for the amount of money you're spending and for, you know, especially in a situation where, you know, you're part of the – like, it's 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 a tremendous weight that you – and then everybody's job, you have to be hyper aware of what they're doing because every little piece has to work together to, yes. to execute – and all of a sudden, it just pulls back the curtain where you're like, oh, 
this job's actually pretty hard. Yes. It's hard to, like because a movie doesn't want to get made. Right. You know? Right. It's like everything's working everything's, against it. Everything. There's something is always on fire. People, something's weather. Always angry at you. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you're just having to sit there and take it. Yes. And you're just like, oh, okay. It's, yes. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an a interesting tough job. thing. And the thing with the actors is what makes them good actors, you know, vulnerable, insecure, very emotional, wearing their emotions on their sleeves, very, very sensitive and affected. Also makes them terrible people to work with, like to get places and to, like, you just know, like, we just want to get this done. And they're like, I don't know. Do you think that was, can we try it again? Can I do it this way or that way? And which is, and I'm not really complaining about our actors because they were incredible and I love them. But I just realized you have to handle actors and they are, they are really risking and they are trusting you. They're going to put something out there for you. And then they're going to, they're hoping that you pick the take that they like mm-hmm. and that you're on them and during that particular shot, not cutting away to somebody else and that the whole movie is going to work and they have no control over those things. Mm-hmm. And, but, and they're trusting you to make it look good. And if it doesn't, they're the ones that the audience sees. And they bl- get blamed. And they get blamed. And so I really, I appreciated more what producers do, but also really appreciated what the actors do. Well, and and I, f- I felt like he gives you as a producer, you ha- you know, I think early on as a filmmaker, you know, and uh, when we worked together in Mom's Night Out, I was terrified because I like, I you know, I had never done a comedy. Uh, comedy is super hard. hard. Feature comedy, especially comedy, is, is hard. Yes, you know, it's so hard to earn the laughs, and and, and it's hard to do, especially what, what what you did on Raymond and what you did on the middle. It's hard to do clean comedy. Yes. Because you can't just rely on like you know seventh grade humor and you know and crass stuff, right? And that you've got to, you've got to make it intelligent. You got to make it work. But it's hard and it's terrifying. But I think as a young filmmaker, the other side of you talking about being the actor in the trailer and, and kind of mouthing off at the at the the ads. Well, as a director, I think a lot of times as a director producer, when you're young, mm-hmm. you feel like you have to control every part mm. of your vision. You got to just rule with an iron fist. Do what I say. Do this. Do that. And you miss out on so much of the opportunity to discover. Yes, discover. That's and a that good word. as you're as you're growing as a director, and you you know life has a way of beating you down and really kind of developing empathy, whether you want it or not. Yes. Um, there comes a point where you're like, oh, what the other person's doing is really hard too. Mm. I remember. Uh, I was that person on Mom's Night Out. There was one scene where we switched I did it. it. Yeah, Do you remember, I remember that? that. <laughs> and I was like, Andy, you can't just switch that. And, and we can both agree we're going to blame it on my brother. But <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Who, who's not here? John? Yeah, okay, it was John's it, it, it was John's fault. fault. Um, yes. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. We flipped. I think we flipped the whole schedule that day. And it was remember. like on the day, like right before I was, it was in the jail. something that it was I in the jail. Yes, it was. Before I had prepared for it. Right. So, um, yeah. And, and. I, I don't think you did anything wrong or that you didn't do it, you know, approach it well. And you were, you were very uh, solicitous and, you know, sorry about it. And it's just one of those things, you know, that there is, everybody's operating at a certain level of tension. I yep. mean, even if it's a really great friendly set and everything's yep. going well, just the performance energy it has attention to it. Mm-hmm. And the directing energy has attention to it. So there's always a bit of tension, and um, so, and you're you're 
limited time-wise, and especially when the budget is low, you've really got to make your day. you got to yep. get all the shots for that day yep. done if you want to stay under or at budget. Yep. So there's pressure. It's a pressure it's cooker. It's a pressure cooker. Even if you're all having fun and you're laughing, it's a pressure cooker. Yep. So Sometimes that pressure it, has to be relieved. And it and pops. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's it like pops. a champagne bottle, yep. and the, the, top, the cork pops off, and it's got to come out a little bit. Yep. Have, you know. So um, it's just what it is. But and I remember that day. You were a pro. Because I came up, I told you, and you're like, I need a minute. <laughs> and then I remember you walking through the double glass doors. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking around the hallway to see you walk down the hallway. And you're walking around and you're just shaking your arms going, uh, uh, and you're just like shaking out all this tension. And I was like, I turned, I turned to my first idea and I was like, I think I just broke Patricia. <laughs> <laughs>
And it's interesting because it always was like Friends came on at kind of the mm -hmm. same time and Friends just launched and they were on the cover of everything. And Seinfeld was on the cover of everything. And we had our little show that millions and millions of people were watching, mm. but it wasn't the hip show. Yeah. But, and it's kind of the same with The Middle. When The Middle was launched, Cougar Town was the, also the new show and huh. Modern Family. And here was The Middle again, kind of chugging along. But again, we're doing really well on streaming and syndication mm -hmm. as Raymond is just evergreen. Yeah, it totally I is. I have just two nights ago at a restaurant, a gal came up, the manager of the restaurant was just like, I just have to tell you. She goes, I didn't actually recognize you. I heard your voice. And I was like, can that be Deborah? <laughs> That's and, awesome. You know, we get this, I get this story all the time of people saying, my father was sick and the only time we all laughed you know, mm. was watching Raymond. It was his favorite show. Man. So, you know, when, when I'm talking about like what a stupid business this is and we're not doing brain surgery and we get paid all this money, there is something to be said for bringing joy into people's lives because we have so much stress mm. in our lives. And, and I'm glad that my small part in this lifetime is to be able to bring laughter mm. to people. I really enjoy comedy. I mean, I'd love to do drama, um, but but comedy is sort of a beautiful thing because what it does is it kind of opens up your heart and relaxes you and you yep. literally physically oxygenates you if you're mm. laughing. And so you're kind of open, relaxed and enjoying it. So then that's why you talked about Mary Tyler Moore show where something would come in that yep. was more profound. Yep. You'd and let th your th then you're down. open yep. to it and it hits you more. Yep. And then of course, you don't want to get maudlin, so you you cut the treacle, as they mm -hmm. say, and you and you give it a little kind of zhuzh at the end to bring it back to a laugh. Yep. But those are the those are the moments that really are moving because yeah. you know it's it comes upon you unexpectedly. Well, and and you did you guys did that so well on both shows. Yes. And and I think the other thing about both Raymond and the Middle is it gave a voice, you know, to people that were like us that didn't live in New York or L.A. Like there was yes. something very Midwest, middle America, you know, that felt familiar with both shows where it's like, oh, that's the way my family is. But without it being kind of a crass, uh, you know, pessimistic kind of all in the family kind of feel. Right. It was very much like uh, we're normal people. We love our families and we have dysfunction and there's things to laugh at. Yes. I feel like it filled the gap that Roseanne had left when that show ended. Yep. And. Eileen and Deanne and most of the writers are from the Midwest mm. and they have a love for it. And so they're able to laugh at certain elements, like having, you know, on the middle, the big, you know, adventure for that week would be driving to French Lick to go to the mattress store. You know? <laughs> and, um, yep. and so, uh, and just there was an episode where they go on vacation and they ask their next door neighbors to just keep an eye on the house. And the neighbor goes inside and it's such a mess that she thinks they've been robbed and ransacked. So she calls the police to come. So when, when the Heck family comes home, there's police at their house. And she says, I think someone came in and ransacked your house because everything was everywhere. And they have to pretend like, yeah, that's probably what happened, but that's just the way their house always looks. So it's just really stuff like that where they can make fun of that growing up with such love and affection that it really rang true. And, and, and a lot of those stories came from the lives of 
the writers, which is also what happened in Raymond, which is really, you know, what makes stuff authentic. When you have specific memories and experiences from writers, it becomes very universal and authentic for the audience. Mm. For you, uh, the thing that's fascinating for me is you've done two very iconic pieces of television, uh, each that lasted like eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, won a couple of Emmys, Mm -hmm. you know, got recognition for it. Um, But the thing that's frustrating about this business is like, no matter how much of a time you have something that's a successful thing in this business, you can't like, you can't like park there forever. You can't rest on your you laurels. Can't, you can't. It, it, it just, you have your moment and it passes. And then all of us at some point would be like, they people look at us like, oh, you did that thing here and there and the thing. And, and, um, it's so hard. So, how was it on both those situations moving on from a hit TV show that finally it's like it was time to close the door and move on? Like, what does that feel like? You you recognize with Raymond, let's say, that it, it was time to move because you can sort of feel like you're repeating some stories. Yep. They probably could have done another year if Robert and Amy had had children. Sure. So there would have been a few more stories to pull from that. But only the writers in the writer's room know for sure when it's done. And, and Ray and Phil have a lot of integrity. And they were like, we want to end on top. Yeah. We don't want to go one year longer than we should have. Mm-hmm. We don't want to stay Smart. at the party too long. Smart. So that felt like, of course, you're sad to see it go and you're, you know, it's your paycheck. So, um, but you recognize that it was time to move on. Same with the middle, you know, for a half hour single camera, it takes much longer to shoot. Um, And so also that felt like the right time to go. So it was very satisfying. It's always very sad to leave. I remember the last day of shooting the middle, I went through the whole day did not feel one bit of emotion because we didn't have an audience to do it in sure. front of where we said, right. ta-da, that's it. It was just like, okay, we finished, yep. all out of order. And I got into my car and our set PA, Jeff, who greeted me every day when I came in, took my bags to my trailer, handed me my sides and said, what do you want for breakfast? I'm in the car leaving and slowly pulling out and I rolled down my window, and Jeff comes over and says, this is the last time. And I just burst into tears, oh uncontrollable God. sobbing. <laughs> um, so, so it does hit you. And I, I sobbed the whole rest of the day. I think there you can look on my Instagram and see me going, oh. Uh. Um, so, but it, it's, it's the right thing to do. I mean, there are some actors, uh, Mariska Hargitay has been doing SVU for yeah. 19 years, something crazy. Yeah. Or like, or like uh, Grey's Anatomy. With, yes, yeah, with, with the Ellen Pompeo. Yeah. Like, and those are our shows. They're really long to shoot. Right. I think they take eight days to shoot as opposed to yeah. five. So, um, so it, it's hard. What I found difficult, we had like a, I had a brief show called Carol's Second Act that only sure. went for one season. And then the pandemic hit. And so, you know, the, the you have the pandemic and nobody's working and nobody's doing anything. But once we came out of that and we're all trying to find our way, um, you know, I, I, it's in my bones. It's in my body to wake up at five 30 in the morning and go to work. Mm. Did that for nine years on the middle. Mm. And prior to that was doing Raymond for nine years and going to work every day. And so that's 20 years of working every day to go from that to not working. Mm. I just, I, I'm still 
figuring out how to do it. I don't know how to do it. And it's not in my nature to not have something to do. And I'm, I'm not good at self-scheduling. Because <laughs> also, I don't have the kids at home anymore. They're yeah. all out yeah. of the house. So I have this day, and I have to kind of impose a schedule on myself, but really nothing has to be done. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just this weird limbo that I've been sort of swimming through, like trying to swim through jello of like, who am I? What am I supposed yeah. to be doing? What is... What does God want me to do? Is this it? Am I supposed am I supposed to say goodbye to all of that? Mm-hmm. Was that my shot? And which was very good if it was, if good. that's the end. Um, I have been doing little roles in movies here and there, worked with you guys, thankfully. And um so it's been uh difficult to know. Like if I have a job to go to, then I can organize the rest of my life around. Mm-hmm. And that helps me. It gives me this yeah. impetus. When I have just this day dawning in front of me that's wide open, I, I just I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just a doer. It's well, very hard well, for with, me. With the doing, uh, that's one thing I've really seen in you since we've known each over the past 10 years mm-hmm. is there has been a depth that's grown in you mm. a lot as a person that's so much more than just what you do in front of the camera. Mm. Uh, and I've seen it in your in your faith, mm-hmm. and I've also seen it in the causes that you kind of mm. attach to. That's like, you know, it's that other side of the the, the tale of two Heatons. It's it's, <laughs> it's 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 the 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 Midwestern blue collar. Like I want to do something uh, that matters. Yes. Um, that has kind of an anger to it or a passion. Mm. <laughs> um, and and I and anger in the best sense of the word, not rage, but passion, anger. Um, uh, Want something that pushes you past your fear. Mm-hmm. So, like, talk to me a little bit about like your your faith mm-hmm. and how it's informed the things that you've invested your life in in the past, you know, five six years. Yeah, well, I think I mean, growing up in Cleveland, everybody's there really not everybody there is really nice, and everybody helps each other all the time. Everybody's always you help your neighbor when uh, was it when my dad passed? I remember you just come home and someone had you know nobody really locks their doors and. My friend Sally had just come in and put a casserole in the fridge and left, right? So there's that kind of thing that goes on. And then my dad, who was really nervous about money all the time, he's a newspaper guy, didn't make much, was paying school tuition for Catholic school for five kids. But he always, when he was paying bills once a month, was sitting at the dining room table and writing out checks to charities. And I remember that he never said a word about it, but I remember... He was always anxious about money, but then he would write checks for charities. Mm. So that stuck with me. And I I always saw him doing kindnesses for people. And I knew that also as a Catholic, it's really about the poor. The Catholics are very much about helping the poor. And that's why you have missions everywhere and nuns and priests all over the world doing work. And so that's always stuck with me. And I always knew that if I was in a difficult place, the best thing you could do is just look for someone else who needed something and focus on that and let God take care of the problems in your life. Don't worry about it. And so I think that's been, you know, part of it. And what's been, what was interesting about that story I told about going on that mission trip in Mexico, at that moment, I thought this was an either or request to God. Either show business or mission work. Hmm. Instead of cut both to and. both and. Cut to yes. 
I'm in Rwanda with World Vision. It's my fifth World Vision trip, yep. maybe. I saw it on your Instagram. Yes, and I thought, oh, he gave me both hmm. on a much bigger scale than I could have ever imagined. I got a full-blown hmm. Hollywood career hmm. and a full-blown mission career with World Vision that for people who had never even heard of it, even though it's the largest NGO in the world, largest provider of clean water, no one on the set of the middle had ever heard of World Vision. And mm. that's when I thought, I need to, who are these World Vision people that they, huh. nobody knows about them? And I called them up and I said, I think you, you need me. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. And because um, I think I'd been a supporter, but I was like, I can, I think I can do more. And so I, I realized, oh, God is so much bigger. He thinks in such a bigger way than we do, you know. Right, right. Uh, it, it's always a different path to that bigger way. That's what throws us off. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought we had to do this to have it happen. But mm -hmm. now you're telling me that I'm going this direction instead. Yeah. And uh, and I just, it dawned on me that, like, I, I just, you don't need to strive you need to show up and do your best work every day, but God is in charge. And, and, and there's no use trying to force something that he doesn't have mm. for you because it's not going to work out, mm. you know? And I really, that has been such a blessing to me when I realized early on that it was because the Lord was guiding my steps and, and, and carving out my path mm. that I really didn't have to worry about stuff. And that's not to say I don't get deeply disappointed about things that don't happen sure. that I'm really passionate about mm -hmm. it still hurts but it's the hurt is very short-lived and it and you just have this eternal perspective that god's in control and if if it's not meant to be then he's protecting me it's actually protection when stuff doesn't yep. happen for you um and so it it gives you such a um it, it doesn't necessarily lessen some of the disappointment, but you get a perspective. You get a yes. You, you do get an eternal perspective of everything's going to be fine. Yeah, and yeah everything's well, meant the way. Well, and I think, and that's what excites me about like the next chapter. Yeah, for both you and Dave, because uh, I know Dave's directing more yes. and more, mm -hmm. um, and and I know how much your husband gave up because he incredible actor himself, Juilliard trained. Yes, and uh, in order to make the Raymond thing work, moved yes, over to from be with the kids. England. Yes. Left, left work in England to be and, home with and, kids. And now that the kids are, are, are you know, adults, uh, is really reconnecting with his passion as a director. Yes. Both of you guys are producers, which I think is where a lot of actors kind of regain their power. Mm -hmm. They're not at the mercy of the next offer or audition. It's being able to go out and create the work that you want to be a part of. Right. And so that's exciting. You know, we've we've been tinkering around with the idea of maybe looking at a mom's side out too. Yes. Uh, which would be really you know, which would, fun. Which would be fun. That <laughs> would be awesome. Get the band back together in some capacity. Just I, don't put me in the parking lot of a pig, Piggly Wiggly in Alabama in the middle of the night. That's all I ask. Well, I remember. Can you're we have a tropical location, please? <laughs> yeah, tropical. Yeah, exactly. We're not filming this one in Birmingham. It will be somewhere like Fiji. And then there's nothing wrong with Birmingham. It was being at 3 a.m. in the parking lot of the Piggly Wiggly. That is incredible. Yes, I, I, I apologize. I'm glad that you're still talking to me. And then we've got, and we've got, you know, Unbreakable Boy that's coming out this year. Yes. That uh, that you're in with Zachary Levi and Megan yes. Fahey. And fantastic film. Is it? Did it turn it's out well? so good. Oh, good. I'm very it's excited. It's so good. Okay. It's so charming. Um, uh, you guys have to you know, stay tuned for that. So yeah. it's exciting. But I think, 
you know, the thing that excites me about where, where you guys are at is I feel like you guys are so much more aware of what you're doing and doing it on purpose. Yes. And uh, and really wanting to invest in things that matter, whether it's World Vision or creating your own films. You know, there there's a passion. Like, I want to invest my life in what, what really matters. Yes, and I think when you get to be older and um, you get more of a sense of your mortality, right, as it goes on and the kids are out of the house and, pe- you know, people around you are... are some people are starting to pass away. And so you just get this sense of like, okay, time is precious. So you really just want to do the things that are meaningful because it's so hard. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard regardless of what it is that you're doing. That It, it should be something do that you love with people you love and that will add something to people's, a positive thing in people's lives mm-hmm. in the world. That's really all we're looking for yep. now. And and it makes it easier to fight for those those projects because they're the ones you really believe in and you believe will contribute. Because to I mean, the world. yeah, because it's the great exchange. I mean, anything as a producer or a director that you invest your life in, the exchange is what you're exchanging in, in, in return is two years of your life. Yes. And so it is it is a painstaking process that I think as you get older, it's like I don't just need a job. I need to tell stories that matter that I get to work with people that I love, and that's it. Yeah, you know, and if it's if it's not somebody I want to work with that I love, or a story that I'm very fiery passionate about, then it's not worth. It's better to say no to it. And so I think you know it's it's exciting you know as we all kind of progress to get to those moments. So I think yes. the best is yet to come for you guys. Yes, I'm, I'm excited you. about next chapters. Yes, thank you. As, as we wrap up, just yeah. a fun little thing at the end. I'm always curious about kind of instincts and inspiration. Like I think you know, good artists create, great artists steal. And so <laughs> for you, mm. as a as a uh, three-time Emmy-winning uh, comedy legend, Patricia Heaton, uh, uh, wh- who are the ladies of comedy, like the two or three ladies that you have on your pedestal of these are the ones that I've pulled things from in my career? And, you know, who are those you know, th- three individuals? I would, uh, I would definitely say Mary Tyler Moore. I could totally see that. Um, she's brilliant. Talk about great funny crying she was the queen oh yeah of that. And, she was and, all the way back to like dick van dyke yes yes and she gave me my second emmy are you serious i'm serious and she talked I... to me backstage so it was just it was like a triple whammy of bucket list stuff. oh my word yes it was it it, it was such an honor it That's was surreal. such an honor what did she say or do you remember? She, yes, you just kind of no, she just said, I just think you are wonderful. And she went on and on and on. You know, to have your icon yes. tell you that you are doing a great job is, it, it just, it's you can't believe it. Hmm. Speaking of, of her, um, Dick Van Dyke played my uncle on The Middle. He came mm, yeah. on for one episode. And I remember seeing him as Bert the Chimney Sweep in Mary Poppins yep. when I was in the second grade. Yep. And... Flash forward, I'm sitting next to Dick Van Dyke in the makeup trailer Man. playing Name That Tune. I would pull up a movie theme and say, play it for him and see if he could guess what it was, Man. you know, To Kill a Mockingbird or whatever, you know, whatever movie. And so part of me is playing this game with Dick Van Dyke and part of me is going, 
I'm sitting next to Bertha and Chimney Sweep, and we're playing Name That Tune. How did this happen? How did I get here? I love that. I mean, it's that's what, you know, you go through years and years and years of struggle, and that one moment makes it all worth it, And when right? it's something that connects to something from your childhood, yes. you never lose yes. that sense of awe. It's like, no, 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 this isn't movies. Yes. This is like, this is yes. larger than it's life. It's larger than life. But I'll tell you, the first sitcom I did was called Room for Two with Linda Lavin. And Linda played, uh, did the TV version of Alice. Mm -hmm. there, was a, there was a movie called Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And then they did a comedy version called Alice. And she played my mom. Uh, and it was star, a show starring her. And it only, said, it only lasted like 24 episodes. But she is such a consummate professional and such a beautifully trained theater actress. And mm -hmm. her comic timing is beyond compare. And not only did I learn a lot from her uh, as an actress, and I've tried to see everything she's ever appeared in, but she showed me how to be on a show and how to be the lead mm. on a show. And she took me under her wing. And she's still my friend. She lives near us in LA when we're back in LA. We had, uh, I think we had lunch with her and her husband uh, a while ago, right when Unexpected was coming out. And she was such an encouragement. We're like, ah, we don't know if it's going to go or do anything. She said, you made a movie. Yeah. She goes, everybody talks about their yep. movie idea. Nobody ever makes them. You made the movie. That's all you have to worry about. That is success. You made the movie. Exactly. And But she also says things like, you know, she's in her 80s now, I believe. And She'll say things like, ah, I can't believe they've only given me five lines on this episode. <laughs> and I'm like, it never ends. It never it ends. It never ends. They're ends. never going to be respectful. <laughs> They're never going. And um, but it's but it's sort of heartwarming that we're all in the same boat. You know, it's the great leveler for actors. Once you just scratch the surface, you realize we're all insecure. Mm. We're all wondering if we're ever gonna work again. Yep. And it's, it's kind of a club. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a club that we're all in the trenches all the time together, you know? And it's, yep. it's kind of cool. The, and the imposter syndrome never goes away. It's like it's yeah. like if, if people only knew that I didn't really know what I'm doing, yes. you know, they would never hire me ever again. Yes, so, yes. Well, like, so, and to end on that, mm -hmm. like, what piece of advice would you give to young actors? Do not put off your personal life. Uh, to pursue your career. Like, don't put off getting married and having children. Mm. Because I found that that only strengthens your reserve. I totally agree with that. And it also, it, as we said, it, it creates life experiences for you that you can bring to your work. Um, but also, it adds a stability, and then it adds a focus. If you only have so much time because you have kids and a wife or a husband or spouse then you will get your work done. You will be laser-like focused on being the best you can be, being super professional, working really hard, and you have to do it in a certain amount of time because you have to spend time, you know, there's an amount of time you have to spend with your family. So it only adds to your life. So I, I think it's as important to create a life for yourself while you're trying to create a career. For me, you know, you were a big validating voice in, in our journey. You know, you were the first you know, uh, actor of pedigree uh, that was willing to put your name behind what we were mm. doing. You know, uh, you took the risk, you know, because we didn't have anything in our body of work that said we'd be able to accomplish anything that we had <laughs> promised. Right. 
and you know, and you were the first one to sign on and say, okay, I'll work with these guys. And then you pushed us for about six months of make it funnier, make it funnier, make it funnier. And, uh, uh, and that really was exactly what we needed to kind of to drive for. And then when you put your name behind us, then the Sean Astons and Sarah Drews of the world jumped on board. But I think, you know, for us, that was a big part of our career. So I have a, a very dear place in my heart. Oh, thank you. Uh, for you. Uh, and I, I can't wait to get back on set. Yeah, we need to do something stuff. else. Yeah. 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 So get Dave working. We're going to get, we're going to get okay. him directing and we're going to all make something. Yeah, in, we're all going to do something. In Fiji. Yeah, in Fiji. Excellent. Trisha Heaton is um, one of the greats. And I think the thing that I like about Patty is for somebody that's got three Emmys and has really you know, absolutely, uh, you know, been uh, continually on the cutting edge of what she does. Uh, there's this idea of, of not being satisfied to kind of sit sit down and, and be done with it. She's always looking for moments of what stories do I have to tell now? Uh, and she's stood for what matters, even when it hasn't been popular um, and has kind of stood the test of time. So I think there's a lot to be said on that, that you know, I think for young filmmakers or, or actors, there's this idea, if I could make it, it would validate me and, and I would be done. And you get to that point and the validation doesn't last. That's not what keeps us going. Uh, what lasts is the passion for the stories. So that's our show for today, guys. Uh, the Storytellers is a show that we do for you guys, the fans. It's something we want to be able to communicate to you guys and to be able to let you guys behind the curtain of the things that we do here at Kingdom with our friends and with other storytellers that we admire and their stories that have inspired us. The Storytellers is a Kingdom Story Company production. It is produced by Nick Carey with production assistance from Ben and Justin Bailey. Our executive producers are Kevin Downs and Brandon Gregory. Social media for the show is run by the team at Troops and Allies, and our music is Twisted Rooster by Tommy Prophet. Special thanks to Jaron Weatherly, Evan Johnston, and our entire team at Kingdom Story Company. We have so many exciting guests coming up this season. To ensure you don't miss any of them, subscribe to The Storytellers for free on YouTube at Kingdom Story Company or wherever you listen to podcasts. For exclusive first looks at our upcoming films, behind the scenes content, and invitations to advanced screenings, join the conversation as a Kingdom Insider at KingdomStoryCompany.com and follow us at Kingdom Story Company across all platforms. As always, thanks for joining Andrew Irwin and his friends on The Storytellers.